And I, I need to let you know a little bit about our trip to the States. In our trip, we traveled in a car, a vehicle, driving around for approximately 70 hours. We were in a car going to different states for 70 hours. Some of those trips were two and a half hours. Some of those trips were 12-hour trips in a car that we traveled around the United States, seeing friends and families and folks and churches and all sorts of things. But 70 hours over a two-month period in a vehicle. That doesn't include flight to the states from here and flight back. So we're looking at well over 100 hours worth of just travel time. So you can imagine sitting in a car with five lovely, respectable children <laughs> that there were times where we needed to have distraction. And one of the things that we discovered while we were traveling 70 hours, I'm not looking for sympathy, 70, 70 hours in a car is a, a, a musical by the name of Hamilton. Now, this is based on the life of Alexander Hamilton, who is a founding father for the United States. He is one that is often forgotten about, but one that is vitally important. As a matter of fact, we wouldn't have banks the way that we have banks in the United States if it weren't for Alexander Hamilton. We wouldn't have our Constitution the way our Constitution is if it weren't for Alexander Hamilton. We wouldn't have uh, an understanding of a federal uh, government unless it was for Alexander Hamilton. There are many things that he did that affected the lives of many other people. But, so what we would do is we would put on a musical that was written, and it was really more of an opera because it was all sung, so we got to hear the whole thing. We didn't miss any dialogue. And it consisted of about two hours and 30 minutes total. No, I checked. It's two hours and 30 minutes. Yeah, it seems like three sometimes, but it seems longer, but it's actually two hours and 30 minutes. So if you were to go and see the show, it'd be two hours and 45 minutes because there's a 15-minute intermission. We didn't have intermissions unless we got out of the car to get Petro or something, but we listened to it multiple times, so much so that some of my children know every word to every song of the musical Hamilton. So two and a half hours spread over 70 hours over and over and over again. But in doing that, I fell in love with this man named Hamilton. I wanted to know more of his story. The man who wrote, uh, Lin-Manuel um, Miranda, who wrote the musical, used a book that was written by Ron Chinholm. And that book is 36 hours on audio book. So I have been listening to the audio book of Hamilton that Ron wrote. And it is an amazing story. I just finished yesterday. 36 hours of listening. Why would I do that? Because story is engaging. Story pulls us in. Story makes our hearts long to know what will happen next. Story so important, as a matter of fact, that Fremantle itself came up with a hashtag. You know what hashtags are? Hashtag, I'm blessed. Hashtag, Fremantle story. And what people are supposed to do is be on their social media and tell about what makes Fremantle great, or things that they see that make Fremantle special, or things that they're excited about happening in Fremantle. And at the end of it, you're supposed to put hashtag, Fremantle story. 
so that other people can go on their social media things and I believe put hash search, hashtag Fremantle story and find out all these things and all these pictures and all these things. Because story is important. What we have happening in the passage that we've read today is Paul telling his story. Giving us an understanding of who he is, of what is going on in his life. See, Paul's relating this story because he has been accused of being false. The Judaizers who are there are saying he's not to be trusted. He's not really who he says that he is. And all Paul can do in response to that is tell them his story, who he is. Now, this is a man who's very sincere. And a man who was living his life as a man who was on a trajectory of success within Judaism. He, he was far surpassing others that were his own age, he says. Like people would look at him and go, that Paul, he's going someplace. That Saul, he's the one who's going to be, you know, high, high priest. He's going to overcome everybody else. If we could only be like Paul. If we could only be like him, maybe God would accept us. He was so diligent in his keeping of the traditions, he said. He was so moving towards why this was God's religion. That when something cropped up that would point to something different, he knew he had to destroy it. And so he became violent towards it. He pursued it with vigor. He was a murderer. We would today call him a terrorist. My way is the only way. The way I understand my relationship with God is the way that you're supposed to do it, and that is it. That's how he presents himself. He's not ready to change. He was not looking for a change. He believed that he was thoroughly right. And then in Paul's story, there's a holy stopping point. This but... When he's telling it, he puts it this way. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. But in Paul's story, there's this holy stopping point, this holy interruption, this holy conflict that takes place. But... When God, who was ready. So before time, before this encounter was even in Paul's mind, before he even had a chance to understand it completely in his story, God sweeps in and Jesus says to him, Paul, why do you persecute me? Saul, why do you persecute me? Paul recognizes that his purpose, his story, is somehow tied into a greater story. Something that's bigger than himself. Something that's beyond. Something that is before the foundations of the world. And by looking at Paul's story, we can recognize as well that our story belongs to a larger story as well. That each one of us have stuff that is happening in our lives. We have what we would call our true, and it belongs to the truth in some form or fashion. Look, remember last week when we talked about the rescue from this evil age. The story that Paul is telling us here is a story of redemption, of restatement, of renewal, of revival, of restoration, of reconnection, of remaking and renaming. You see, Paul had no doubt that he was right in his story. 
But then the story of God comes and shows him where he was wrong, but guides him to the place of rightness. Story is so important for us. You guys listen to Richard Feindler's conversations on the ABC? It's every week. He puts it this way. You get to spend an hour in someone else's life. It's fascinating. It's fascinating just to listen to the stories of Australians and how they have lived and what has happened. Sometimes it's not Australians. Most of the time it is. And they talk about their life and their story and how it is part of the bigger picture. How it is larger than themselves in some ways. I I encourage you to listen to it. You'll learn something from it. Stories are so important to us that our First Nation Australians have what they call dream time story. Helen McKay, who, who wrote about Australian storytelling, tells us this about dream time story. It says that art is the visual form of storytelling, that custom is the practical form of storytelling, that dance is the physical form of storytelling, that music is the acoustic form of storytelling, that for them totems are the spiritual form of storytelling, that lore, that that folklore is the cultural form of storytelling, and that land itself is the geographical form of storytelling, that the land itself tells the story. But in the end, that all their stories are the great oral textbook of aboriginal culture, accumulated knowledge, spirituality, and wisdom before the beginning of time. That sounds a little bit familiar to Paul's story. That before, right, before I was born, before the foundations of the world, God had the story. And that within the story of God, I am woven into it. Not just woven in as sort of an afterthought, but an integral part of it. That the story can't be told without your particular thread being woven into it. It must be present for it to be known and proclaimed. But this story is greater than any of our own separate stories. As a matter of fact, it's a story where there is no other love so great. It is a story where there is no other hope that is this secure. This story of God is a story of forgiveness that is more complete than any other story you'll hear. It is a story that has no other joy that's as deep as this joy that you'll receive once you see your life in the story of God. It's a story of freedom that is more liberating than any freedom you could ever experience. And it's a story of peace that's more sweet than any peace you can have. And it's a story that is the story that needs to be told. It's a story that needs to be told because it calls us beyond our religion and our non-religion. In fact, it calls us into whole relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, and with place. And it's a true story. It's a truth story that needs to be woven into our own story. Paul was righteous and right, and he felt like he knew it all. 
He was combating being told that he wasn't a real apostle. See, there were people telling stories about Paul that didn't line up with the true story. They were saying things about him that were different and and wrong. Oftentimes, we tell ourselves stories about who we are, and we allow the stories that others tell about us to affect us greatly. You see, Paul told himself a story that he was righteous and right by all the works that he did. That he was beyond compare within this pursuit of God. Forgetting, not seeing, that it's not about his pursuit for God, but God's pursuit for him. And not only that, he had others saying, nope, nope, he's not really righteous, he's not really true, he's not really right, he's not really the guy you should listen to. See, they were telling stories about him as well. Oftentimes we experience that. In our own stories, we have false narratives that we build up in our lives. False narratives of that everybody's out to get me, or that I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. Neither one are true. It might be that it There are people who don't like you, yes. And they might be doing things to hinder you in some way. But our truth story is that God, beyond all things else, loves us and pursues us and wants to know us and pursue us to the point of right relationship, whole relationship with Him, beyond everything else. But we think about our past and we think that it defines us. But what we see from Paul's story is this. Our past does not define us or determine for us where we're headed. But by God's grace, it informs and prepares us for what God has us for in relationship with Him. Tim Keller put it this way in his commentary on the book of Galatians. What we see in Paul's life is the ability for us to review our own lives and see God preparing us and shaping us even through our failures and our sins to become vessels of His grace. See, there's nothing that you've done, there's nothing that you've experienced, there's nothing beyond in your story, personally, particularly, that can move you outside of the great story of God's pursuit for you. He is able to take our darkness and make it light. He's able to move us from death into life. And he's had it planned all along. He's just not coming up with it on the fly. He has said over and over again that my steadfast love is here for you. It longs for you to know exactly who I created you to be. And why is that so important? Well, we see in Paul's story, in order for Paul to give glory to God. What does it say? That because of Paul's story, when Paul's story gets lined up and submitted to the truth of God's overarching pursuit story and love for us, it says they didn't know me completely, but what they knew is this part of my story, that the man who used to persecute us now was proclaiming Jesus Christ as risen, and they gave glory to God. You see, our stories are about giving glory and honor and praise to God. And it's not because God is some low, self-esteemed, cosmic coward (laughs) that is needy and needs us to say, you're so good, God, you're so great, God. No, it's because He is the author 
of the story. He knows how it is to go. He knows what has been and is and shall be written. It's his love for us that causes us to bring him glory. Look, God does not write any of our stories in a formula. He writes them in poetry and prose. What do I mean by that? My story looks different than your story, and your story looks different to the person that's next to you. But the poetry and prose of it, there's a rhythm and a method and a movement that is there. That it is not without boundary, that it is not beyond truth. But it is beautifully written out in whatever iambic pentameter you need. Whether it's a haiku or whether it's some prose that when I read them, it doesn't make any sense to me. Why? Because in your particularness, God knows your story and how it weaves in and unfolds into his story. God does not write our stories, but in your particularness, he does this. He says, once upon a time, there was, or perhaps even better, in the beginning. In the beginning, there was. I want to turn to two other passages just real quickly so that we can get a a good understanding of how Paul understood his story and how we should, in fact, understand our story. The first one is 1 Timothy. This is how Paul understood his story. 1 Timothy. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Listen to what he says. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever Amen. That is how Paul sees his story. That though I seem to be so far off, that there is no way that I could possibly have been saved, that Christ and his patience saved me, in order that all would know how loving kindness is pursuing them. And how do we see ourselves? Our story can be seen in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are our God's people, and once you were not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, let these be your words. Let them bring you glory and honor 
and mercy. Let them be the things that are feeding us, that give us understanding of who you are more fully. Let us be part of your story. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing in response to these words, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness.